you have your Bible with you, or if you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the book of Isaiah this morning, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 61. I want to encourage you, I'm going to double down on that request, encourage you to grab a Bible and open up to Isaiah 61. We're only going to look at three verses. I have no points for you today. I actually do, but the only points that you will be able to look at are in the text. There will be nothing on the screen for, to help you follow along. I'm going to pull phrases word for word out of Isaiah 61, so unless you have a copy open, you're not going to be able to, to follow along. Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 to 3, I want to share a life verse with you this morning as we begin the year. With all that in mind, let us think about the display of God's splendor this morning. This is the word of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. How many of you have already quit your New Year's resolutions for the year? It's not, well, it's just past 11 a.m. And some of you decided you were going to eat better this year. And then breakfast happened. Or maybe some of you decided you're going to read your Bible every day of the year, and you've already missed this morning. Or maybe you decided to clean up your language, and that person cut you off as you were trying to drive to church this morning. I wasn't in the car listening, by the way. But how many of you have just put aside the idea that you're going to even try. It's hard. It's hard to go 365 days and pursue a goal and not give up when you fail to meet that goal, when you have those days where you forget to read your Bible, and you have those days where you eat a second cheeseburger Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you at 11 a.m. on New Year's Day, don't quit. Whatever you've set your mind to do, pursue it with all your heart that the Lord may be glorified. And I know it just sometimes feels tough, but what if I gave you a cheat code? Now, some of you didn't grow up with Nintendo like me and might not know what a cheat code is. A cheat code is a phrase or a key that you could plug into a video game 
and automatically win. One game in particular for me, the classic, Super Mario Brothers 1, is just impossible. When you get to that last level, it is impossible to beat. But back in my day, they had this thing called Game Genie, where you could plug it into the Nintendo and have infinite number of lives. You could jump off the screen. You could do anything you wanted and beat Super Mario Brothers 1. Well, I want to offer you Game Genie for New Year's resolutions, a way you can beat the system and automatically win. Here's the code. Make your New Year's resolution God's resolution. Make your goals his goals. Specifically, I want to offer this to you today. Let God's goal in Isaiah 61 be your goal in 2023. Take what he's trying to do, and you try to do that. And you're going to be in much better shape than if if you just try to work something out on your own. Because unlike you and me, God, as Pastor Brian has said, is going to keep his word. God is going to keep his goal. He's never going to give up. He's never going to quit, and he'll accomplish it. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, God says he is the one declaring the end from the beginning. He's declaring December 31st on January 1st. He's declaring what he's going to do from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So here's the cheat code. What if you just line up your purpose with his? The one that he will accomplish. Guess what's going to happen? You are going to accomplish it. One person said it this way. You look for the waves that God is making and you go surf on them. Look around you. Where do you see that wave happening? Ride that wave. Isaiah 61 shows us the wave of all waves, the purpose of all purposes that God has in place. Now, what is it? What is that wave? What is that ultimate purpose? It's the last phrase in verse 3, that he may be glorified. Before I went to seminary, I spent two years working at a charter school for at-risk children, in a very violent neighborhood in Memphis. And every week at chapel, they would quote a pledge about who they wanted to be. And the pledge ended, it climaxed with Isaiah 61, verse 3. And a hundred kids from the ghetto of Memphis would declare that we are oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That was the translation they used. And I prefer that. I like that. The display of his splendor. Traditionally, the Westminster Catechism asked, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God, to display his splendor and enjoy him forever. Friend, why did God make you and me? 
God made you and me. God made everyone. God made everything to make him look amazing. He made you and me to put on display his beauty. You and all that you are and all that you have to do, your purpose is to point people to a God who is splendid, a God who is beautiful in and of himself. Let me just show you this goal all the way through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Isaiah hears the angel singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Every inch is displaying his splendor. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. We're told the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In Isaiah 42 verse 5, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory, my splendor, I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. And in the very last chapter, the very last few verses, Isaiah chapter 66 verse 18 God says, for I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory. Beginning to end, it's what God is going to do in the book of Isaiah. It's what God is doing now. He is working to display his splendor. Now, before we dive into verse 3, and that's where we're going to spend all, the, all of our time, I want to do a little bit of setup. First thing you need to know about Isaiah chapter 61. This is the first sermon that Jesus decided to preach. When he went to the synagogue in Nazareth, he stands in front of everyone and he reads Isaiah chapter 61. He sits down and then in Luke 4 verse 21, this is what Jesus says. Today, This scripture, Isaiah 61, has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what Jesus did. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year! Except when Jesus preached the sermon, there wasn't a ball drop. There was a mic drop. Because that was it. That was the sermon. Jesus is saying, I am here to fulfill this text. The year of the Lord's favor, that's now. The new day has begun. We're not waiting until midnight anymore. This is January 1st, Nazareth. Jesus is saying that this chapter in Isaiah is all about what he came to do. It's all about his mission. That's how central it is, brothers and sisters. This is a vital text for us to understand what Jesus came to do in the church. In verse 1, we see that it is God's work. Jesus came to do God's work, and we see all three members of the Trinity. See, this isn't a New Testament concept. Look at verse 1. The Spirit is God the Holy Spirit. The Lord God is God the Father. And the me, we know, thanks to Luke chapter 4, is God the Son. 
And in this work, they're all collaborating together to get it done. God the Father authors this work. God the Spirit anoints the work, and God the Son accomplishes the work. We've already read in Isaiah, God says, I will not share my glory with anyone. So what does it show us that God, the Father, and the Spirit, and the Son are working together? He's willing to share his glory with them because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equally God. From eternity, they have existed as this triune team working for the glory of God. Verses 2 to 3, the work God sets out to do through Jesus, we see seven action statements. We're not going to read every single one of them, but you can boil it down to two tasks that the Son has. Jesus came to announce the good news and to accomplish the good news. Twice, you see the Son say, God has anointed me to proclaim. God has brought me to speak. God has brought me to share good news. That's the beginning of Luke 4. That's, that's what's going on. Jesus is proclaiming and the rest is how God would rescue us. Originally, when Isaiah was writing this, he was pointing to the day that God would pull his people out of exile and, and rescue his people from Babylon. And that rescue was only a shadow of what Jesus was going to accomplish for us. God would rescue us from our exile in sin. That is prophesied in Isaiah Isaiah 53, when this spirit-anointed Savior becomes the suffering servant. In verse 8, the servant says, By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Jesus went into exile. Jesus went away. From the land of the living, Jesus was taken into death to offer you liberty from your slavery to sin. Jesus was crushed on the cross. Jesus was abandoned by God the Father to bring joy and gladness to broken hearts. Jesus took the vengeance of God to bring you to a place of peace where you could glorify God. Before we talk any further, friend, have you experienced that in your life? Have you experienced that, that work of God? Before you try to do anything, before you set any goals for the year, you need to come to grips with the offer of life that Jesus has for you. You won't just get a new year, you'll get a whole new self, a new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. Friend, if there's never been a point where that transformation has happened, not where you had to work into becoming something new, but where God spoke and made something new, turn to Christ today. Put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross when he died for your sins and rose again. When that happens, our entire life revolves around one thing, his splendor. 
When Jesus changes our life, our life is not our own. It belongs to him, and everything about us is set to glorify God. I want to walk through with you God's goal, the one I want to be your goal, in three key phrases in verse 3. These are the points that are not going to be on the screen. They're in your text. Three phrases. The first phrase, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Friends, this is a story of change, a story of transformation. That they may be called is a purpose statement. All of God's work in verses 1 to 3 that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are doing to rescue his people go into this purpose that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Now that implies that this is a new situation, that God's people were not always called oaks of righteousness. If he did all of this work that they may be called this, it means there was a time when they were not called this. You understand? This is crucial. You're not born in oaks of righteousness. You become one through God's work. Oaks of righteousness is a new name for God's people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, Peter says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, I've talked to so many people in church about their story, and this is how it starts. I've always loved God. I've always been a part of his people. We talk about, we're all God's children. Not once, you were an orphan. Once, you were dead. Once, you were in exile. Once, you were not an oak of righteousness. This is a story of change and transformation. You were a dead tree of unrighteousness. To show you that, in Isaiah, this is the second time oaks come up. Shows us the story of change. You go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 1. Look at what is going on in verses 27 to 29. The prophet says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed, for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. The first oaks mentioned in Isaiah are oaks of rebellion. They're oaks of pride, choosing a different way. They're oaks of unrighteousness. And it through God's work in Isaiah 61, he takes these same people and turns them into a new kind of oak. God is saying, when I get done with you, you used to be this kind of tree, but when I get done with you, you're going to be a new kind of tree. You're going to have different fruits. Friend, again, I ask, has there been that kind of change? Not I always have been this kind of tree, but you know. You used to be one kind of tree, and God worked in your life to make you a new kind of tree. 
where do you still need to see that change? This is a process. We do grow. We do sanctify over time. So where do you still need to see that change? Now, be careful, because the danger here is to hear this and to think, I got to do better. I need to fix myself. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to be more righteous. Friend, when you do that, you confuse where the righteousness even comes from. Look at phrase two. The planting of the Lord. God says, I'm going to work so that you would be called oaks of righteousness. But don't get it confused. This is my planting. I'm the gardener. I'm the tree planter. This is basic life. This isn't going to shock anybody. It's just, it's true. Trees do not plant themselves. Trees do not walk around and think, you know what? That's a nice spot with a good amount of sunshine. It's got, it's got some good soil. I like the water over there. I think I'm going to plant. I think I'm going to plant myself right there. No. Friends, listen. God's people do not plant themselves either. We are a planting of the Lord. As J.A. Mortier writes, our place and our character is entirely due to divine action. Using a similar metaphor, Psalm 23, verse 1, David writes, He makes me lie down in green pastures. I don't lay down. I'm hectic. I'm antsy. I'm hopping around the pastures. My shepherd takes me and makes me lie down. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, when we see the work of grace in our life, Paul says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We, brothers and sisters, are oaks of righteousness because God makes us righteous. Here's what this means. Listen. You don't have to work so hard that you suddenly turn into a tree that God approves of. It's not on you to earn his approval. You don't have to pass some kind of righteousness test. When he makes you an oak of righteousness, he makes you righteous. It's in your DNA. As a Christian, the call to pursue righteousness is not... Be something you're not. The call to pursue righteousness is be who you already are. That's why Luther called it an alien righteousness. Because this righteousness is not from here. It's it's foreign. It resides outside of us. It's extraterrestrial, if you will. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, the heart of the gospel. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus died on the tree, Jesus took all of our unrighteousness and became the bad oak so that he could put his fruit 
in us and make us the oaks of righteousness that Isaiah was talking about. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3.9 that his goal was to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from obeying rules, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So just to review, because I'm about to come to your neighborhood and ask you to think about this year and how you can live in this reality. God's goal is to give his people a story of transformation, a story of change where they trade their sins and their failures and their wickedness, and God gives them his righteousness. And the ultimate reason for that is in the last phrase, that he may be glorified. I think you've heard this before. We exist to glorify God above all else. His name matters more to us than our own. When that thought led our vision series in 2021, September 2021, had no idea how God was going to open that up in our lives. But in that message, we held up one question. One question that needed to drive everything, that always needed to be on our lips, that needed to be the thing that made or break any decision we would make. Do you remember what the question was? How do we best glorify God? Friends, every time we meet, every time we plan, every time we disagree, every time we consider what God has for us, this question needs to be on our lips. Today, there still is no better question. And can I just offer this? I I haven't heard it. No one's asked me that question. I'm not saying we don't want that, but it's not on our lips. We don't keep it fresh. We don't keep that the main thing. There's a lot of questions being asked. But what I don't hear is, how do we best glorify God? Friend, until that's the first thing that comes out of our lips, we need to keep working. Because those other questions are not even secondary to that question. They're not even in the same world as that question. How do we best glorify God? Now, to help us get practice with that, I'm going to ask that question a bunch right now. And I want you to consider all the ways this should shape your life. Friend, in your personal life, in the choices that you have to make right now that are yours, that it's your life, it's what you do in your home, in your, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your family. And you know what's going on in your life better than anyone else. How do you best glorify God right now? In the situation that's that's keeping you up, the situation that's unsettled, the career decisions you need to make, the family conversations you need to have, how do you not best get what you want? How do you, it's not how do you best make things go away and smooth them out? How do you best glorify God? How do you best display his beauty and splendor? 
How do you best put on a pedestal his name above yours? What about in your workplace? What about in your church? What about in the ministries that you call your own? How do you best glorify God? Not, how do you get to keep things as you like? Not, how do you get more people to be a part of what you're doing? Not, how do you make the biggest difference in the world? How do you best glorify God? In your community, in Carl Junction, Missouri, in Joplin, Metro, Missouri, in Pittsburgh, Kansas, wherever the Lord has planted your tree, are you displaying his splendor in your neighborhood? How do we best glorify God here? What displays his beauty to the greatest degree? I'll go back to the statements that we made that September. We glorify God by growing like Christ together and using our gifts to serve the church family. Well, if that's true, how do we best glorify God doing that? We said we glorify God by proclaiming the message of the gospel everywhere we go. So how do we best glorify God doing that? Right now, in 2023, how do we as a body best glorify God doing that? We said we glorify God by making disciples and training others to do the same for the generations to come. Not for the generations who used to be here, but for the generations that are still being born. Now, how do we best glorify God? We glorify God by trusting his word and his spirit to direct us forward in the power of his resurrection. How do we best glorify God? What's the ultimate chief way we can display his beauty in these pursuits? If we can figure that out, why would we settle for, for going after any other direction? What is it? How can we pursue the splendor and the glory of God to the best of our ability? Brothers and sisters, if we've been planted by God, by his grace, let us lay down all of our other little goals and all of our other little dreams and all of our other little visions because we want to ride the wave of what God is doing, putting his glory on display. Ephesians 3, verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let God's goal be your goal. If you belong to him through Jesus Christ, you are 
an oak of righteousness. You have been planted by the Lord for the display of his splendor. Let us pray.